0: let's get right into his word. Uh, for the last weeks, we've been studying uh, Elijah, and we've been looking at uh, 1 Kings chapter 17 and 18. And uh, hopefully by next week I'll be into chapter 19. But just uh, I just want to say this before we get started that we live in the unseen. We live in the spirit we are human beings but we have the spirit of god just as we prayed right now amen we have the holy spirit within us we are not our own we are one with god he is inside of us and actually the holy spirit is not just in us on the earth but the bible tells me and i believe his word which is outside of time i am seated in christ in heaven The Holy Spirit is in me on the earth, and I am in Christ, seated at the right hand of God. That's what my word says. Both things at once. Amen. So we are living really in the unseen. I want you to to get this today. If you don't get anything else, get this. There's more happening in the unseen than we realize. God spoke into what looked like nothingness. Do you remember when God spoke? into the earth. Who knows Genesis? God spoke into nothingness. Science says that you cannot create matter without matter, right? Who knows that? You can't create nothing from nothing, and yet that's exactly what God did. Amen. And if God can create everything we see from nothingness, what can't he do? Is there any limit to his power, his abilities? There is no limit, because my Bible says that he looked at nothingness, and he commanded it to be, and it obeyed his voice and became everything we see, everything we know. Amen. And we are a part of that, aren't we? Out of that earth that he spoke into existence, the Bible says that he took the clay And he formed it into man, and he did something special with humanity that he didn't do with the animals. Now, science tries to say that we are very similar to the ape, but that's about it. We are similar. They really can't connect any more dots than that except without stretching it. There might be a similarity, but God did something special with humankind And that is that he breathed his spirit into us. Amen. God did not breathe. They had oxygen, but God did not put his spirit in the animal. At least my Bible does not tell me that. And I believe that because it pointed out that the animals were made and that we were made, but that he breathed his spirit into us creates a distinction and differentiation between the two. So we must believe and understand today that God did something special. God stepped out of uh, eternity, so to speak, if there's such a way. I mean, how do you even describe eternity? Who, can, who in here is able to imagine forever? Because what your mind does is it calculates millions and billions and trillions. Because your mind cannot in the state it's in now, even understand no beginning and no end. It doesn't make sense. And God uh, stepped out of that place for a moment, and he spoke everything we know and see. Now, sin came into the world, as we know, and it broke apart that connection that we had with God. And what Jesus did really... Uh, was so much greater than just giving you a ticket to heaven, although that's incredible. It's amazing. We we can't. We have songs that say, you know, we can't even understand it. We could never say thank you enough. We just we can't even understand what Christ did and His blood that was shed for us. That yes, does give us heaven, gives us eternity. But He did so much more than just giving us heaven when we die. The Bible really tells us very clearly that Jesus, and I just prayed it even here just before we started, that Jesus restored, he's called the first Adam, I mean Adam is called the first Adam, Jesus is called the second Adam, because what Jesus did was he brought a restoration to what was lost in the garden. And that is that the Spirit of God is within us again. Do you realize that? And you know, the enemy is fighting to try to keep the Spirit of God out of your life. If he cannot get you to believe in Christ, if he can't stop you from believing, then what he wants to do is remove the life from you. That doesn't mean the devil is stopping you from going to heaven. Do you understand me? But he wants to box out the Holy Spirit in your life because that really is the life of God within you in the earth. Think of it this way. Think of your eternity secured once you have repented and given your life to Christ. But in the meantime, the devil is going to try to make your life a living hell as much as he can to try to distract you from it, maybe even pull you from that place completely, but at the very least, just make your life incredibly irritating and uncomfortable. Now, the Holy Spirit, when he comes into our life, he does not necessarily uh, remove all the discomforts and the heartaches and the things we have to go through, but he gives us the ability, amen, to go through it. That's really what happens is the Holy Spirit, right, gives us the word of encouragement, right? We're going through something or we have an encounter and who has experienced this? Suddenly a a scripture comes to your mind. Suddenly you're encouraged. Suddenly you're filled with faith, right? Because the Holy Spirit is directing you through life and, and into eternity. And so God really has done something incredible with us and that is that he has... Uh, He has restored this place that that we can have with him of communion and fellowship. But the enemy in the earth is trying to disrupt what God has been restoring. Now, technically it was restored once and for all, but we all have a choice to make, don't we? And we've all been making choices at different seasons and times throughout history. It was already said and done. It was finished. Christ said at the cross it was finished. But in the meantime, we've all been coming to that finishing work of Christ. You know, uh, somebody in the 1800s experienced the finished work of Christ, and now 200 years later, we are experiencing the finished work of Christ, but it's the same finished work from 2,000 years ago. Does that make sense? So because of that, what the enemy will try to do in the earth is... Uh, just bring a confusion and bring a corruption and just keep us as much as he can from fully turning and experiencing that, that life that we can have that was given to us and restored to us in Christ. That's his goal. If he can't stop the gospel from going out, and he can't, then he'll just try to keep as many from hearing it. And then if he can't stop you from hearing it, try to twist it. If he can't stop you from going to... To, the, to your local church and being part of your community and you won't let it get twisted, then he's going to try to remove the Holy Spirit's direction and make it legalistic. Do you see what I'm saying? He's going to try at different stages and different levels, ultimately just to try to get you out of that perfect will of God and the life that God really wants for us. And this is not just about your success and your prosperity. It's actually not about that at all. Those are just byproducts that come Really, just from following God. And so, I want you to look with me. Are we okay so far? I want you to look with me. I just want to review some verses here. The Bible says in 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 41, Elijah said to Ahab, Go get something to eat and drink, for I hear a mighty rainstorm coming. Amen. It says in James 5... 16 through 18 that the earnest prayer of a righteous person You might know it as avails much It says here in the NLT that that person praying earnestly There's great power and wonderful results ahead for them And this is why the enemy if he can get you distracted he can get you frustrated what happens When that what happens to all of us? We stop praying, but if we're praying, we're not praying earnestly, are we? You know, we're praying heartbroken, which is, I'm not saying that God doesn't love you and seize your situation, but he's trying to create chaos, try to get you out of this place where we have been called to, which is really that we have great power within us. The enemy is trying to keep us suppressed so that this power doesn't come out. Now, again, I need to be clear because there's been so much twisting in theology throughout the generations that the power is not for yourself and the results are not about self. Does everybody understand that? Amen. All right. The power that we have within us is not to show people power. It's to show God. And the wonderful results are not so that you can show off what you've done in God or what God has done through you, but so that the world can see Christ in you and see his glory. Amen. So verse 17 says, Elijah was as human as we are, yet... Everybody, we need to say that again. Elijah was just as human, and this is from week one for our study on Elijah... I'm just reviewing here, Elijah was just as human as we are in this room, and yet when he prayed earnestly that no rain would fall, none fell for three and a half years. Then when he prayed again, the sky sent down rain, and the earth began to yield its crops. Now, we've been doing a study, springboarding from here, and uh, this is now uh, sermon number four, but let's, for today... I just want to look here. I want you to look with me at 1 Kings 17 just to review some verses. 1 Kings chapter 17. Uh, actually, I can just review for us. Basically, God holds back the rain. Do you guys remember? God says there's some things going on in the earth. Elijah, there'll be, there's not going to be any rain until I say so. And so uh, in James, we're reading that uh, God had directed Elijah to be the person on the earth bringing about God's will, but God had already ordained it in heaven, right? we understand that. God had ordained in heaven no rain until I say. Elijah was his mouthpiece. So this incredible power came out through Elijah because he grabbed hold of God's word. And we're going to get more into this in a minute, but I'm just getting ahead of myself here. He grabbed a hold of the will of God in heaven, and when he spoke it into the earth, the earth obeyed, because my Bible says that when God speaks, the earth must listen, right? Amen. The Bible says nothingness listens, so I can promise you that the earth will listen. So uh, so chapter 17 of 1 Kings, God holds back the rain. And rain is a symbol of blessing. The whole Bible, you can go through and you can do a study but it's very clear that rain in the Bible symbolizes God's blessing. So when the rain was removed or held back, it's a symbol of God's blessing being held back. Without God's blessing, you're on your own. (laughs) You remove God's blessing and you're on your own. I want to tell you something. You don't want to be on your own, right? We were just talking about this before the sermon. You don't want to be on your own because... Just as the symbol of rain being God's blessing, if you remove rain from the earth, what happens? Eventually, everything dies. So if you remove God's blessing, His grace, His mercy, you remove it, what happens? Death. Right? That's exactly what my Bible says, that man was made in His image and He had His spirit in him, but once the blessing of God was removed, not permanently, and not ultimately because Adam and Eve were still preserved, but it was removed in, their, in the earthly sense, and what happened? Adam and Eve died. You remove the blessing of God, and death will be the result. Now, God had a plan. He restored them through Christ, just as we are equally restored, like Adam and Eve, through Christ. But in the meantime, the blessing was removed, and death is the result. Uh, equally, rain on the land was a symbol that God was blessing the land because it it did what? What was it? It was life in contrast to death, right? The rain brings life. It brings prosperity. It brings sustenance. So God removed his blessing, and death was the result, and God's about to restore it. That's what we've been talking about here uh, in our last sermon to this one, God's going to bring some restoration. I want you to say restoration. God wants to bring some restoration into the earth, and he wants to do it. It's his will. It's his power. It's him, but through you. You are what he has chosen to work through. Uh, you are the light that God has chosen to leave here on the earth, representing him. And so 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 1 says, later on in the third year of the drought, the Lord said to Elijah, the rain, the time of no rain, it's over. I blocked it off for a while, and now, Elijah, we're going to bring some rain again. I'm, I'm, I've been judging for a time, and my judging is not, the purpose is not to hurt you. But when I judge the earth, it's to teach you that without me, you have, there is no hope. But with me, you have everything. Amen. So he says, the time has come. Uh, verse 2, you know, we, we just preached on this th- in my last sermon. He grabs Ahab and he says, uh, verse 19, I want you to get all your false prophets. And let's have a contest. And let's, have, let's see who God really is. Let's see if your way works. And we know it doesn't, does it? Who knows our way doesn't work? Who knows, if we worship our idols, that for a time we can have a false sense of peace. We can have a false joy, even a false happiness. But after a while, our idols, are they're not able, right? You know, see, what happens is God says it's not going to rain. Everybody goes, that's fine. We still got streams. And What we read in, in, in the last weeks, what's in 1 Kings 17, after a while, the streams dry up. They go, that's okay. We got springs. We don't need God. And what happens is we caught, you know, we push God out. Now, for a while, we don't realize that God's grace is still in our lives, even though we have decided not to worship him, we're worshiping idols. So for a little while, we're like, this is fine. I don't need God. And what happens? Eventually, total death comes, total dryness, right? The dryness of the earth is another symbol. Spiritually, you know, we're reading the Bible as a story, but it's not just a story, it's not just history. It is all symbols that point to our life as Christians, right? And spiritually, what is the dryness, right? It's the, the, it's the lack of life, right? When we go for a little while, okay, fine, we found our happiness and our peace in other places, but eventually what happens? It's, there's nothing left, there's no hope, there's nothing but God. So God says, that's it, we're going to settle it. And he says in verse 21 of, of Kings 18... How much longer are you going to hobble between two opinions? We're going to deal with this right now. If the Lord is God, follow him. But if if you want to go follow your idols, you want to be your own God, and you want to build your own kingdom here, now's the moment to make the decision. So uh, Elijah does what? right? Elijah, at verse 36, the usual time, which is significant, because Elijah restored the sacrifice. Elijah restored order. Elijah brought back what had been kind of, uh, had been messed up and twisted and and turned, and he got back to the place that we all need to, we can look at this as a symbol of what a nation needs to do, but we can look at this sermon and, what, and and these verses, as a symbol of what we all need to do personally, there's a time when we need to get back to the place in God where, where we are the, our, our worship and our communion is with him, and the idols are dying, their, their power is finally settled, that they're not going to bring peace, they're not going to bring happiness, this world is not going to do it for you. And we come to that usual time, that was the, the restored order, and he says, I'm your servant. There And he says, he finally says, uh, he says, prove, Lord, I want you to prove and I want you to show that you're God. And so verse 37, he he prays that. And verse 38, the fire comes down. He burns up uh, the, the altar, right? He burns up everything. They soaked it with water and there was no match for God. He burns the whole thing up. And finally, verse 39, they say, the Lord, he is God. Yes, the Lord is God. Verse 40, Then Elijah commanded, Seize all the prophets of Baal. Don't let a single one escape. So the people seized them all, and Elijah took them down to the Kishon Valley and killed them there. Whether it's a nation or whether it's you individually, when we get to a place of dryness, when we get to a place of death, when we get to a place where God's blessing has been dwindling God's hand it seems like God where are you the answer is always the same it's a time to come back to the Lord and get things straight with him straighten some things out put him first sacrifice everything else get everything else out of your life and make some things back into order amen and that's exactly what happens here now this is where we left off and I wanted all that was not just so that you could hear the last sermons again, but because it's going to spring right into verse 42. So immediately it says, so it says what well, we just read in first uh, in 41, he says, I hear a mighty rainstorm coming. God's going to do some things because we dealt with some things we've been dealing. We dealt with the flesh. We dealt with the idols. And now God wants to be the God that he's always wanted to be. But it's our own humanity that's always boxing him out. It's not God. God's not doing it because he wants to do it. We do it. We push him out. God pulls back his hand of blessing, not to hurt us, but so that we call on him again. Amen. Who has ever had that experience? Where his blessing is not that he, he killed you, he didn't leave you, he didn't abandon you, but maybe life kind of went a little, a little uncomfortable, but he was getting us to cry to him and to call on him. Amen. And so now verse 42 says, So Ahab went to eat and drink, but Elijah climbed to the top of Mount Carmel, and he bowed low to the ground, and he prayed with his face between his knees. Then he said to his servant, Go and look out toward the sea. And the servant went and looked, and then returned to Elijah and said, I didn't see anything. Seven times Elijah told him to go and look, and finally, the seventh time, his servant told him, I saw a little cloud about the size of a man's hand rising from the sea. Then Elijah shouted, hurry to Ahab and tell him, climb into your chariot and go back home. If you don't hurry, the rain will stop you. And soon the sky was black with clouds, and a heavy wind brought a terrific rainstorm. And Ahab left quickly for Jezreel. Then the Lord gave special strength to Elijah, and he tucked his cloak into his belt, and he ran ahead of Ahab's chariot all the way to the entrance of Jezreel. Now, here's where I want to preach on for the next minutes this little paragraph that. I had been building up to from the last weeks to now. All right, there's so much to unpack there. So let's just begin. Firstly, I want us to note this. First Kings 18, verse 42. It says, Ahab went to eat and drink. Everybody say, but Elijah. The Bible says, Ahab went to eat and drink, but Elijah climbed to the top of Mount Carmel. Ahab went to eat and drink, but Elijah climbed to the top of Mount Carmel. You know, the Bible tells me in Matthew chapter 24, verse 36, Of that day and hour no one knows, not even the angels of heaven. This is Matthew 24, verse 36, and it says in verse 37, But as the days of Noah were, so also will be the coming of the son of man for as in the days before the flood they were eating and drinking new king james the bible says they were eating and drinking isn't that significant that in the day of the flood don't you love the word of god don't you love all of its pictures and symbols we used to call them types and shadows growing up in the church it's because everything in the everything in the entire bible the bible uh, actually, is the, the Old Testament in Christ is fulfilled. You guys understand that? that? That everything that happened, the stories, the symbols, even the people, everything was pointing to Jesus Christ. And everything post-Christ is now pointing to a restoration, really, of the garden, which was what? Eternity, oneness with God, unity, peace. I mean, every we all dream about the Garden of Eden, right? That's what we all, we really, subliminally, that's really all what we all want. Everybody, when we talk about the white picket fence, right, and that peace and just sipping teas on the front porch, we're describing a Garden of Eden type of thing. That's what we all crave. Whether we admit it or not, we all want that, and we will have that in Christ. But there was a restoration that needed to happen, and the Bible says, just like This time it says, as the days of Noah were, it says they were eating and drinking until the day Noah entered the ark. Verse 39, and it says, uh, they didn't know that the flood was coming until it happened. And that'll be just like it'll be in this day when the Son of Man comes. But it says, watch therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming in the, in the book of Luke, chapter 18, verse 8, it says that the Lord's coming back. He's going to deal with some things. He's going to avenge some things. And then he, he gives us a little note. This is a, this is a verse that has really confounded us because there's so much in it. But it says, it says a question. He says, when I come back, will I find faith on the earth? Because, see, what happens is, the Lord wants to bring a restoration. The Lord truly wants to use us. The Lord wants to do a work in us. But the real question is, when the Lord begins, when the Lord is doing things in the earth, right, even a time like we're in, 2020 into 2021, the temptation, you know, Elijah told Ahab, go eat and drink. So it's not like, you know, in one respect he told him, but You can see the difference. Ahab just went, ate, and drank. And what does Elijah do? There needs to be an Elijah. We need to be Elijahs. That we choose while everybody else is eating and drinking, Well, the world is just coming and going. The whole point of that story that Christ is talking about, just like referring back to the flood and actually referring to right here, is that the world never really takes God seriously. And God gives us so many opportunities t- to enter into a place with him of peace and joy and happiness, ultimately salvation. But it's so easy just to come and go as we please, eat and drink, right? And then we just make God, we make time, little time block, blocks of time for God. And and then and then somehow, you know, we wonder how we get right back in the same place as, as, a, as a nation or as an earth or our person again. And so... Elijah stood in the gap for the nation. The bigger picture is that while people are preoccupied and earthly minded, Elijah was heavenly minded. Amen. And he went to seek the face of God, not for his own benefit even. Really, he got no glory except for us preaching about him today. Elijah was just more hated. We'll read about that next week. They hated him even more. And he went and he sought God's face for the benefit of the entire nation. He reaped the benefit of being part of the nation, but it was not for him that he did it. Amen. But it was for the nation. So he had faith in God, and so Ahab goes and eats, and Elijah, it says, climbs to the top of Mount Carmel. Now, This is interesting because Carmel means vineyard. Everybody say vineyard. All right, Carmel means orchard. It can also mean garden. Another type in shadow. This is very significant because while the world is just coming and going and doing their own thing, Elijah... See, we read in James, Elijah's just a human, but he prays, and he does this incredible thing. He tells the rain to stop, and then he tells the rain that it can rain, and it does. And then we're like, well, how come it doesn't happen in my life? I've prayed like that, I've tried to pray, and I don't see it happening. And I'm going to talk about that a little bit in these next couple of minutes as we go towards our closing. But firstly, before we really argue about why it is or isn't happening yet, Let's dial back. Are we really positioning ourselves? When we go to pray, are we really positioning ourselves like Elijah did? Is our prayer flippant or is our prayer serious? Is our prayer for ourselves or is it for the benefit of the really the world around us, for the people around us? And we look here in, in the garden. Jesus went into the garden, and what happened is, In the garden, what happened with Jesus? He comes to the Father, and he pleads with him, and he says, Is there another way? But what Jesus understands is that there's a people that needs me. There's a people that needs this cross that I have to go through. And what happens is, in the garden, something incredible. Now, he is the Son of God, but he also had humanity Because our Bible says that he prayed. He was so stressed about the cross that he literally began to sweat blood. Now, he was not sweating blood because he was spiritually afraid. He knew what would be the result. But his humanity didn't want to face what he was going to face. But what happened is, is that Jesus, you ready for this? He brought his flesh into alignment with his spirit, which was in alignment with God. Now, the New Age has tried to take this word alignment, and they try to take it, and, you know, we need to, you know, get into alignment, and we need to be aligned with the universe and all kinds of other garbage. But really, it's a biblical concept in that we must be in alignment with God. We must be in alignment with God's will. You know, anything out of alignment, who's ever had a tire out of alignment? Who's ever felt the wobble in your steering wheel? You know what happens if you leave that, out of alignment long enough? I mean, eventually you're going to, literally, if you leave it long enough, you're going to pop the tire. You leave it even longer, as its tire's popping, you're probably going to break everything in that region. You leave things out of alignment, even a slight misalignment, you give it long enough, and you know what a slight misalignment does? Eventually it will break, it will fail. And what Jesus did in the garden was he got into alignment with the will of God. And there's so much power. In fact, see, people, there was this teaching called name it and claim it. Who's ever heard of it? Anybody? Now, the, the teaching was you could just name anything and claim it. And, you know, some people did achieve things because there are, I don't even want to get into it, but there are powers I, I, within words and within the universe. I hate to, like, get, I'm not trying to get new agey, but, like, gravity is with or without God. You guys understand that? Whether you want to know God or want to love God, gravity works. Does that make sense? You know, being a philanthropist, whether you give it give glory to God or not, works. The people who give money, even worldly, I mean even demonic organizations, but they're very philanthropic. I don't know how to say that. Philanthropisty. <laughs> <laughs> philanthropic? There you go. That's the word. They are. Uh, they'll testify that they can't ever give enough because it works. So, you know, there is, you could use a principle even wrongly and achieve a result. But what happened is that got all twisted and weird, and and so people achieved some things, and they wrote books about it, and people just tried to make copycat. But there is a truth in this, that once you get a hold of the will of God, and if you can really get an alignment with his will for your life and for what he wants in your situation— and in the earth, and you begin to believe what God has said, something incredible happens. Who's experienced that? And you just you even though your flesh says, "I don't want to go through what I have to go through, I just want to go eat and drink. but now I'm back up on the mountain, you realize he went, the Bible says he went down the mountain to deal with the false prophets, and then he climbed back up. I did some research. This is one of the steepest cliffs around in Israel. It's like 1,700-something feet, you know, straight up. Who's ever been up Mount Beacon? Anybody? It's like a 600-foot climb, and it's a pretty treacherous one. That'll, that'll take the wind out of you if you go up the straight way. This thing was like 1,700 feet. He went down to the valley, dealt with the bales. He dealt with the spirit of Baal up top, but he dealt with the, the uh, false prophets down in the valley. Now he's back up top seeking the face of God. And so we have to bring our flesh into alignment with the Spirit. Sometimes people are like, well, I'm not seeing the results. And it's because they are still trying to, they're thinking about it in their flesh, they're reacting in their flesh, they're praying, but they haven't brought their will into alignment with God, which is truly just absent. Jesus had to be absent from his will. He didn't want to face the cross in his flesh, but he says, thy will be done. Amen. And so if we connect and believe and walk out and pray out the will of God, there will be a miracle at the end of our journey. Who believes that? I believe it. Amen. So Elijah brought the things that were inhibiting the blessings of God. He brought them down. Everybody say he brought down the things, right, that were inhibiting God's blessings on the nation of Israel. And the people were suffering because of it. So we have to deal with the things that are inhibiting the blessings. And then once we deal with them, everybody say, the journey ain't over. Right? We deal with things and we we go, God, I dealt with such and such, and I dealt with this area, but I haven't seen the result yet. It's because... You did what was necessary, but you haven't done everything yet. And it's this. It's time then, once you deal with things, even this nation, we're praying and believing for this nation to be restored back. But firstly, we must deal with the evil. We must deal with the, the, the spirit of, of pride and the, really the spirit of self that has, has taken over this nation. You deal with those things, but then we must get in the gap You know, we're dealing with those things, but then we must get in the gap and we must plead. We must get the will of God. That's what. So Elijah goes back up on the mountain and he gets the will of the Lord, gets into alignment. He gets into that place. He goes into the place where God is. Where was God? The Bible says that he set up an altar. See, there was an altar up in Mount Carmel. He restored an old altar. He got to the place where the sacrifice, who's the sacrifice? That's Christ, right? Old Testament, this is pre-Christ, but we can look at the picture and apply it to our future right here, that what we need to do is get into that alignment with the sacrifice of Christ. What's the Bible tell us? The Bible says, to join with Christ on the cross in his suffering, and what happens? We will reap, depending on your translation, but just go with me from... (laughs) that we will reap the benefits of His glory. If we will join with Christ in the cross, we will have His glory. So there is a place that we must get to where will is, is, our will is gone. It's God's will. It's His way. And we get to that place. We must get into that. We must go up into the presence of God. We must get before Him. And the Bible says in Ephesians 3 verse 12 that because of Christ and our faith in Him, we can come boldly and confidently into God's presence. See, because the sacrifice had been restored, and because of the sacrifice, now the will of God could come into the earth, but we're not finished yet. Everybody say we're not finished yet. There's some things that need to get put into place, and there's some things we need to deal with the things that are inhibiting God, then we need to get to that place where we go into the presence of God, and then we begin to get a hold of his will. And Hebrews 10, you can read that on your own time too, but tells us very, very, very clearly, we can boldly enter, let us go right in, that we have a place in his presence. So he gets to this place, this proper position of prayer. Everybody say proper position of prayer, 10 times fast. So he gets into the place of humility, And he gets into that place where the Bible says he gets on his knees and he puts his head between his knees. He gets low before the Lord because it's not about Elijah. This is not about him. This is not about his plan. You know, we want God's best in our lives. Then seek God for the best for your community. You know, the Bible says in Jeremiah, it says, if you want peace, seek the peace of the city. Amen. So we must, right now, we're looking for God's will. God, what's your will in my life? It's really simple. If we want to find his will for your life, begin to pray and plead for your nation. Begin to pray and plead for your family. Who has experienced this? You begin to pray and plead for someone else, and all of a sudden, you have peace that you didn't even ask for. Who has experienced that? A peace supernatural comes. Answers start coming into your life, and you because you begin to seek for the answer for someone else's life. And that's really what Jesus did. Jesus sought our benefit rather than his benefit, and it brought about the redemption of the entire world. Amen. So he says here in verse 43, go out and look towards the sea. See, just because we've gotten in the right position, and just because we've dealt with things, and just because we've turned aside from the world, they're eating and drinking, we're looking towards God, doesn't mean that it's finished yet. Now comes when the rubber meets the road. And this is where most people quit. I mean, I am just as guilty as the rest. We've talked about this. I've been talking to Rick about this. You can Google it. There's all kinds of Theories and books on it. It's called the 90 Percenters Club. And it's that most of humanity goes 90% and quits. We only want, we go so far, we feel like we've given it our all. We hit that 90% mark and then you're so fried, you're so frustrated, you give up. And the funny thing is you're only 10% away. You've already done the 90, but we're only 10% away from achieving what God has actually put in our lives or asked us to believe for. And the devil does that. You can, I can go through so many of the Old Testament stories and show you the 90% and how they really had to push through that final 10 to see their victory. And this is where we are with God. I believe that maybe some of you are in that in your own personal life or something you're believing for, even this nation. This is the moment where we must continue. Everybody say continue to seek God and to pray and to believe him. See, because I believe we already have the will of God. We already know what his will is. I know God's will because I've read his word. I already have his will. Who has God's will because of his word? Amen. You want to know God's will? Get in your word. And he'll make it very clear. And everybody goes, well, his, I don't, God doesn't have a verse about my situation. Who's been shocked? who has been shocked before you're reading your bible that is 6000 and 4000 and 2000 years old right depending on the section and somehow something bypasses time to a very specific answer here in 2021 isn't that incredible so he does have a verse for your situation and what happens is at that moment we need to silence everything else, all the other voices, and we need to close our eyes to this world, and now we just believe God's word. We believe his word, and we cleave to that, and we say, I'm not giving up until I see what I know I believe. Amen. And that's exactly what happens here. It says, he said, I didn't see anything. Who's been guilty of praying and saying, I didn't see anything? Who has prayed? And then you're like, well, I didn't see the result. The Bible says seven times Elijah told him to go and look. Now, this doesn't mean seven times within the hour. <laughs> well, I tried it seven times. This is not a religious experience that Elijah's having here. In fact, I don't, we don't have time. People have studied this out. You know, there's different theories of where he had to go and see the sea from Mount Carmel. I've heard I've heard all kinds of different teachings on it, but the point is that this was not a quick experience. That in order to see the sea, where he told him to go and look, it was quite a journey for the servant. Everybody says that you know just the one praying, the servant had to do all the work. I've heard that too. Easy for you. You just pray, I'm the one running back and forth seven times. Imagine the hike. Seven hikes up Mount Beacon. <laughs> Seven times. But the point was, every single time he said, I'm, I prayed, and I'm not seeing the result. In fact, you know what's interesting is that there's a middleman, because Elijah's the one praying, and someone else is saying, I just don't see it happening in your life. I'm just not seeing it for you. I want to believe. I mean, I'm going because I want to believe, but I just don't see it happening. And, you know, the Bible says Elijah didn't give up. Elijah had already, he had gone through all this. He had been faithful to the Lord, and the Lord's been leading him. And he led him, and he fed him at a stream, with the the stream and with the raven. And then he fed him in the widow's home. And then he took him, and he dealt with all these things. And Elijah's like, I've gone 90%. I'm not giving up now. God told me to speak it out into the earth that it wasn't going to rain, and it didn't. Why would I doubt God now? Just because you don't see it yet doesn't mean that God's not about to do what he's promised. He said it wasn't going to rain. I spoke that into the earth, and it didn't rain. Now, the Lord told me, deal with these things, and then he goes to pray so that the rain can come back, And it's not happening. What do we do? We quit, right? Well, we tried. Well, it's not me. It's God. We tried. And the Bible says, finally, everybody say finally, the seventh time. You know what seven means, right? Perfection. It's the time when the Lord said, now's the moment. You know, until God says, this is the moment, you realize God was in this whole story. Do you realize that God dictated when it wasn't going to rain? We're just middlemen. We're just going through this situation. We're kind of like, you know, the pilots today are flying the plane, and, and we had, you know, this, this incredible story, right? He's landing on the Hudson River, bypassed all the computers, and it's incredible. So I'm not saying that men don't fly planes still, but in general, computers are flying planes. That's the whole point of that miracle, landing on the Hudson because the computers were telling him, you're not going to make it, and he bypassed the computers. But in general, what happens, right? The pilot's got his hands on the wheel, but we're an autopilot nowadays. They got the whole thing mapped out, and this plane's here, and that plane's here, and here's your trajectory and wind and all that, and the plane's figuring all that out on its own. And the guy's just sit, sitting there holding the wheel nowadays. I'm not taking away from them. I'm just saying it's a lot easier than it probably was 100 years ago when planes were starting just flying in the earth, right? And I feel like that's kind of like we are with God. You have your hands on the wheel, but really God's in control. Does that make sense? We really are. Now, we can't just be like, well, whatever. I'm just going to just go do my own thing. That's just the opposite. We have to join with him. He's going to do it. It's his strength. It's his power. It's his authority. It's his will. But we have to get a hold. We have to grab a hold, take that picture You put your hands on the wheel of that plane, and you are grabbing a hold of the will of God. And what you are acknowledging when you put your hands on that wheel to the plane is you're saying, I believe that God's going to fly this thing to where it needs to be, and I'm joining with it. And something then begins to happen in the supernatural when a person believes God. Now, you might be believing God, and it's not time for the answer yet. Does that help anyone? So you keep believing once you know what God has shown you and he's spoken. You keep believing until you see the results. Now, finally, I don't think that many of us in this room would have jumped up and started running like he did. But it says, finally, the seventh time, the time of perfection. That means that this is the moment that God ordained all along. And it says at this moment... I saw a little cloud about the size of a man's hand rising from the sea. Who would have jumped up right then? You know that little glimmer of hope that we get? A little glimmer of hope? We get hopeful, but we're like, okay. i got a little bit of hope, but I don't believe God yet. I mean, I want to believe him. That's not happening yet. But once that happened, the Bible says, he said, Elijah shouts, and when the Bible says a word, I don't think it's by accident. When he shouted, he was shouting because he knew that what God had promised is about to be fulfilled finally. After three cha- and year, you know, something, three and something years here, three and a half years, it's about to come. Now this is it. All the buildup. And he did not quit. And now it's here. And he says, hurry. If you don't hurry, you're not going to make it. That's because this rain is coming, and Bible says, verse 45, Soon the sky was black with clouds. Amen. We're at a moment, really, with the Lord, you know, that we, we know in this church, and I believe many churches have, that we recognize, you know, that it's not that God's doing it to the earth, but the Bible says as these things happen that it, we should be look up we should see the Lord. We should call on him and say, Lord, what, what's, what's going on? What is your will? And we know that as we grab a hold, I know we did this as a church, we grab a hold of his will, we just begin to declare it out into the earth, that, that we're not going to just watch this nation just become a heathen nation. We know that the Lord's will is still for to have life and have peace, for this nation to still be his and so we begin to pray, and you know, and, th- and then you can apply it to your personal life, things you've been believing for. Now's the moment. We're at like 99%. Maybe your situation is 90%. Maybe you're 85%. But I believe that wherever you're at, if you haven't seen it happen yet, we must keep praying and keep believing and keep standing in the gap. God is looking for a people that pushes their will aside, takes the will from heaven, speaks it into the earth, and... Finally, the answer will come. Amen. Amen. I just want to bless you, and we just thank you, Lord Jesus, for your word today. I pray your word, Lord God, even as a fulfillment, Lord, just like this sermon itself, that God, your will for this church, your plan and purpose for this church, I thank you, Lord. You promised in your word that we would be prosperous and we would be blessed, God, If we put you first, Lord, you have an incredible amount of promises towards us, towards us who believe. And we just thank you, God. We join with you. We join with your planning, with your purpose. Holy Spirit, lead us in this church, we pray. And I pray, Lord God, that as we do that, I thank you, Lord, we're going to begin to see those clouds rising from the sea. And I thank you, Lord. I pray that we would be just as quick to believe you and just as quick to run with what you have for us, in Jesus' name, amen.